Hello everyone, welcome to Middlebrow Madness. This feels very strange. I haven't introduced an episode of a podcast for a long time now. Um, but uh, I wanted to do a bonus episode. Uh, since uh, last episode, uh, while we were discussing V for Vendetta, um, that's episode 18 by the way, I made these statements that modern political thought, especially the kind embodied by uh, the fans and devotees of V for Vendetta, um, does not make or have normative statements. Um, that's a pretty big claim, um, and I didn't mean exactly what that sentence says. Um, I think I mean something a little bit more complicated, um, and something that needs more explanation. And the explanation I gave in the episode was pretty poor and was a little bit scattered, uh, and did not give a proper definition of what a normative statement is, or, like, how it relates to either V for Vendetta or capitalism as a whole. Uh, so I figured... Um, or Derek allowed me to, uh, agreed with me, uh, that I was able to make this little bonus episode where I get more into, uh, the philosophy of that statement and what I exactly, the political philosophy especially, of what I mean when I say that. Even something as simple as, like, what a normative statement is, what a descriptive statement is, what I mean when I say late capitalism or neoliberalism or capitalist realism. And I want to get into that more than I can do in the regular episodes because that would turn most regular episodes into just a monologue. So... Let's begin what is sure to be the least popular episode of this podcast ever conceived. Um, but it's free, so what do you care? Um, first off, uh, let's get into what a normative statement even is. So when I say normative statement, what does that mean? Normative statement, at least in, um, I'm using it in the philosophical sense, it is a statement which supposes a norm. Um, by which I mean that it is a statement that makes a judgment or a mo uh, moral or ethical judgment that is not purely descriptive. It is instead of describing how things are, it is attempting to prescribe how things should be. This is contrasted with a descriptive statement. A descriptive statement, instead, is a statement that only expresses what something is. So, for example, if I look at a wall and I say the wall is white, that is a descriptive statement. Um, whereas if I say, I like white walls, white walls are good, that would be a normative statement. It's a very basic example, obviously, and it gets far more complicated when we're talking about ethics and we're talking about um, politics, especially. And um, if we, we're not going to get into this in this episode, but if we really wanted to, we could talk about how descriptive statements, the very fact that a descriptive statement requires um, either sensory information or internal observation of one's own consciousness, it could be argued that every descriptive statement requires normative statements about the communicability of such uh, interior states, the uh, how much we can trust sensory experience and the phenomenological states. Um, but that's a little bit um, much for this episode, um, but it is something maybe to keep in mind. That when we say normative and descriptive, there may be some argument over what exactly a descriptive statement actually is. But for right now, we will use those original definitions I said. So a normative statement says what should be. A descriptive statement says what is. Um, for those of you who have read some philosophy, you probably heard that uh, described as the is-ought distinction um, that David Hume uh, famously developed. And the basic idea of it is that observation and um, uh, sensory data gathering, to some degree, rationality can describe things. It can tell you what is. But there's a gap there between saying what something is and what things ought to be. And uh, you cannot, or at least in most readings, you cannot arrive at value statements from purely descriptive statements. Um, so, for example, if I talk about 
let's let's get political. That's what I'm thinking about. If we talk about incarceration rates among um in America and broken down by demographics, the mere statements that black men are disproportionately imprisoned compared to the rest of the population, uh, or in, in compared to their percentage of the population um in general. That is a purely descriptive statement. It's not making a judgment on that. It's just saying that that is a fact. The descriptive statement is what everything that comes after that. For example, if I were to say, and that's wrong, or that is clearly showing a certain amount of injustice in the system, or let's say I was a weird right, right-wing loser um, hanging out on 4chan and said, well, that clearly shows that there is a predisposition towards crime in black communities. Obviously, I'm not saying that. Uh, I hope no one's taking this out of context because clearly that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the opposite. If anything, I believe the opposite of that, but I'm merely saying that those are two very different um, normative statements you could make. Those are two different statements that uh, require normative values and use those to interpret and end up with two very different outcomes, despite having the same initial descriptive statement. So all politics essentially uh, and all calls for action require a normative claim because a simple statement of fact does not tell you what to do ever. Even something as simple as like, oh, I'm, I, I feel hungry. That's a, a descriptive statement. I'm saying how I personally feel, how I'm perceiving my own emotions, how I'm perceiving my own hunger. That doesn't mean that I am therefore required to eat, uh, that I ought to eat. And in fact, the modern diet industry would often push against that very human desire to eat when you're hungry. And this causes problems <laughs> because... Normative claims very often cannot be rationally reduced using evidence and other data in that sense. Uh, like if I make a claim, like the one I use in the episode that I uh, just kind of stated, um, that I think I cut out of the episode, um, a, a normative claim that I believe is that suffering is bad, like human suffering is a bad thing. How do I justify that? Well, because suffering hurts, because suffering is unpleasant, because I don't like it. Well... Why does that mean it's bad? What? Why are those things bad? You have to justify to me what bad is. What do we mean when we say bad? Um, how do we... Is badness a empirical claim we can make? Is badness a quantitative claim we can make that something has X amount of badness in it that we can measure? No. It's just something that's like... Normative statements generally require a certain suspension of skepticism. Whereas a pure, a pure skeptic of which there are basically none, anyone who says they're a skeptic does not actually mean that in the general sense. They don't mean they're a pure philosophical skeptic uh, because a pure philosophical skeptic would, um, they would start from, De- from Descartes uh, and his famous like statement, like um, I, I exist because, um, or how do you say that fucking thing? I think therefore I am. That's the fucking thing. I think therefore I am. Um, and you could go further than that. Well, why is thinking, why do you believe that thinking is true or real? You have no outside basis for that. You have no internal basis for that. For all you know, this could be illusory. The fact that you are thinking could be a combination of sense data created by a materialistic phenomenon that makes you have the illusion that not only that you are thinking, but that you are you, that you is a coherent, like material thing. But I'm assuming we're not nihilists. Uh, I'm assuming that we do believe that there are normative statements that can and should be made. Um, we might disagree on what those normative statements are. But uh, the important thing to the important thing I'm trying to get at 
is that all politics makes these normative statements. Um, and the mistake of modern neoliberalism is that it pretends it doesn't. Um, and when I say neoliberalism, what I mean is a state of capitalism, um, a state of democratic capitalism in which all interaction is viewed through the market and viewed as uh, as if individual atomized beings are making rational actions to increase their own to in, to increase their own market value or or for their own means for their own desires. Um, I believe this is hopefully, obviously, an incredibly reductive and not very helpful view of humanity. But the reason that this is also called um, late capitalism, or a term I actually like much more, which is capitalist realism, is that it tries to make that claim into a factual claim and not a normative claim. It makes it, it tries to pretend it's a descriptive claim and not a normative claim. Um, so... For example, like the main thing about capitalist realism is that it precludes all options outside of itself. And by precluding those options, by not even pretending those options could exist, um, it gives us the illusion that normative claims are descriptive claims. So, for example, um, the claim a growing economy is good. That is not a descriptive claim. Like good for who? Good for what? What do we mean by good? Um, when we say growth, what do we mean? Uh, when we look at growth under capitalism is that actually growth for all? Is that growth for only some? I would argue it's a second one. Um, but there's a lot of assumptions baked into that statement, but the statement is presented as if it is a description of the world and not a normative claim about the world. And Derek in the episode um, says, um, in reference to V for Vendetta, uh, nothing means anything and nothing has any weight and it's all spin. And this is kind of what I what I mean by this. Uh, when I, When I say that's, there's no such thing as normative claims in modern politics. I don't actually mean that those claims don't exist. I mean that we pretend we pretend those claims don't exist, or we meaning culturally, uh, not maybe me specifically or you specifically, but we pretend that those assumptions don't exist. Uh, and it's really easy to do something as simple as a lot of people who are big fans of V for Vendetta um, might run quote unquote skeptic YouTube channels, um, wherein they attempt to debunk certain things or look at certain claims and be skeptical towards them, you know, that kind of thing. But the issue is that, A, they don't realize that science itself can give us descriptive statements, but any anything we say past the pure data of a scientific fact is a normative statement. Something as simple as saying, oh, climate change is really happening. This is what the science says. Any statement beyond that saying what we should do about that or saying what that means or why we should care, the very fact of caring about that actually could be considered a normative statement, a normative outlook. And the problem with the modern day quote unquote rationalists is that they don't realize that their rationalism is based on assumptions. Uh, the very idea that rationalism is valuable and that a rational argument has value is a normative assumption. It is one I believe. Um, it is uh, one that I think is incredibly helpful and one that I generally would subscribe to. But it is a normative claim that requires some degree of justification and is not value neutral. It is in of itself a value. There's a really good episode of the Citations Needed podcast. Uh, if you don't listen to them, um, it's episode 83, The Unchecked Conservative Ideology of U.S. Media's Fact Check Verticals, that goes pretty in depth into this specifically with people like PolitiFact 
or uh, like Washington Post's uh, fact check uh, journal is that by by saying they merely present the facts, what they're actually presenting is ideology that pretends it is not ideology. And statements from people like I think it's it's either Ben Shapiro or Charlie Kirk, but they're both like the same fucking person in my brain, and they both are motherfucking like just just doofuses. So who cares? But one of them, there's their like catchphrase is facts don't care about your feelings. And that's that's exactly that statement. Um, because yes, a fact does not care about your feeling, but everything you do with that fact is your feelings. Everything you do with that fact requires an ideological outlook in order to go about executing it. And V for Vendetta, by not giving us why we ended up in the world that it has, or what should come afterwards, or any idea of like what an ideology of revolution would look like. Uh, unlike people like say, I'm going to mispronounce a bunch of names right now because I have no formal philosophy training. So I've only said these words in my own head <laughs> and read them um, or these names rather. Now I feel really embarrassed. Who cares? Um, when you look at uh, actual anarchists uh, like uh, Murray Bookchin or um, uh, Kropotkin, Kropotkin, fucking already already is bad bakunin 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 i'm pretty sure it's bakunin i'm pretty sure right there uh they have a philosophy of a philosophy of revolution why it's happening what it's happening for what its purpose is and many of them also have a philosophy for direct action um since many anarchists are very interested in direct action and it's something that v in the movie is also clearly interested in is this direct action and specifically direct action is propaganda, but he doesn't ever give any normative claims besides the fact that government should be afraid of their people, which, okay, but what does that mean? Um, like, what does that actually mean? Does that mean that, does that mean right-wing militias? Is that what they should be scared of? Does it mean uh, the rights of workers and union groups? Is that what they should be scared of? Should they be scared of should uh, a capitalist government be scared of socialism or a socialist government be scared of capitalism? There's a lot of, and this is what the problem with the malleability of V for Vendetta's politics is that by having no specific claims and by making sure all of its claims are incredibly vague outside of incredibly basic things like, hey, totalitarianism is, totalitarianism is bad, theocracy is bad, and you shouldn't be homophobic, which sadly are... Some of those are sadly coming under fire in terms of the um, universality of those beliefs. But I think generally speaking, most people would agree with those, even people on 4chan. But the problem is there's no underlying narrative outside of that. So it smuggles in these neoliberal, these capitalist realist ideas under the guise of you know, this unemotional, rational actor V, someone who essentially never has emotional stakes in the film who is presented as a almost perfectly rational being, especially I think the mask helps and the semiotics of the mask help that quite a bit. And the fact that you cannot see any um, body language or, or you can't see any facial body language gives him an authority that makes people think his claims are descriptive and are not uh, normative claims. And I think it's very easy to see how 4chan and later skeptical YouTube grew out of this idea where rationality is not so much a practice and rationality is not so much the problem is rationality can mean a lot of things. Rationality could mean um, um, something like analytic philosophy, where Bertrand Russell's uh, history of the, f what is it called? The short introduction to mathematical philosophy. 
Uh, that could be wrong. But um, that's the one I've read. He also has a longer one, longer version of the same thing I'm far too dumb for. Um, but he goes into very explicit detail like, hey, here's these rational precepts. Here's how we provide reasons for these rational precepts. Here's what these rational precepts lead to. And here's why numbers exist. Here's what we mean by when we say numbers. Here's what we mean when we add numbers together. Here's what we mean when we talk about sums or we talk about groupings or real numbers or integers or things like that. What is our like barest meaning of those things and what do they actually describe? But that's not actually what political action is. And that's one of the issues with something like analytic philosophy, in my opinion, or logical positivism. That's what I meant to say. The problem is that like one of the problems with that outlook, the analytic outlook or the logical positivist outlook is that it is incredibly hard time telling us what we ought to do. It merely describes the world or describes a certain outlook on the world, but doesn't tell us where we should go from there. And that's why I think that V for Vendetta, in the way that it smuggles normative statements within ostensible descriptive statements, created or didn't create, but helps to hugely influence um, a large number of people politically into believing that their values and their outlooks are not normative and are actually bedrock rationality, quote unquote, or bedrock logic. Like, I'll, I'll own you with logic, and then they proceed to say the least logical things. It's not actually as much of a contradiction when you realize that these two ideas have been vastly conflated in modern political discourse online. And uh, I would recommend anyone listening, uh, if you haven't read Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher, uh, to definitely check that out. It's only like 100 pages long. I think it's actually slightly less. It's probably like 90-something pages, 80-something pages. Uh, super quick read, super accessible too. Um, that gives a better idea of what I mean when I say that term and what we mean when we say neoliberalism and the problems with that outlook and the way that that outlook creates no other alternatives. Um, and um, in terms of accessible things, I would also recommend videos by people like PhilosophyTube, um, Ali at PhilosophyTube, or uh, Guy as well, because uh, they're able to give very pop and easy to understand descriptions of how ideology actually infects kind of everything we do. And that anyone who claims to not be political or to be working outside of a political um, milieu and says that they are merely describing, if anyone tells you, hey, I'm just describing the facts, but they're telling you a prescription, a political prescription or a prescription for action, then just know that they are bullshitting you Um, because those are not just facts. There is an incredible amount of underlying ideological assumptions there that have far more power than they than they need to just by virtue of them being unspoken. So as soon as we speak those assumptions, all of a sudden they become much easier to handle and much easier to grasp and deal with as opposed to just if you argue a descriptive if if, if you argue a political statement and you pretend that the problem with the argument was the facts the person gave you, I think you're coming at it from a very wrong angle. Uh instead you need to come at it from the angle of what we value and what we think is important and how we arrived at that decision. Um, and I think a lot of times what you'll find is that there are some really serious unspoken assumptions going on there, especially in, especially when the right uses these terms or uses these ideas. And the more you are aware of those, the more you're able to react against them. That was a long winding episode. This is 23 minutes. Did I really talk for fucking like 24 minutes? Probably like half that's being cut. So you're probably listening to this and it's like three minutes long. Um, but uh, yeah, 
that was my basic description of, you know, normative claims, descriptive claims, and how they relate to political claims and V for Vendetta. So, um, if you, if you wanted to have more of these, um, you probably don't, but if you for some reason do want to have more of these little monologues, um, from me about political ideas I bring up in the podcast, um, just let me know because I am totally willing to record them if there's an interest. Um, but thanks everyone. Uh, if you listened this far, I really appreciate, um, that you sat through that, uh, even without Derek. Uh, And I will see you in two weeks to talk about a movie that made me cry so hard that uh, I had to put a pillow over my mouth to, like, not scream and scare the neighbors. (laughs) So until next time, I've been Isabel Arf. Uh, There's no Derek Gaudain. Gaudain? Derek's going to be mad at me for butchering his last name again. Uh, Have movies be jolly. Bye.